Welcome back to another episode of The Sebastian Show. I have Pamela Bardi with me today. I'm super excited. I was on her podcast last year, uh, The Underdog Podcast. Go check it out. Uh, but we're going to get into a little bit of her story and rap woo-woo in business. I think it'll be fun. But welcome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Sebastian. It's such an honor. Like, who knew a year ago when we did our interview, right? And then now jumping into yours. It's incredible to be here. Thank I may you so have much. Known. Just send you knew. <laughs> she sure did. <laughs> <laughs> so how's the West Coast treating you? Oh, I love it here. I'm pretty sure you brought the rain with you. Uh, as this looks more like Boston than it does California. Normally, this is blue skies and you can see everything. Literally. I, I was literally just saying this morning on the way here, this is the first time that I have seen rain in California <laughs> when I've been here. And I've been here like four or five times. I'm like, <laughs> what is happening in the world today? We desperately need this. Um, I may or may not have done a rain dance, but we desperately need this rain. So this is a really good thing for California. But this is weird for sure. Yeah, no, it really is. But I'm still loving the weather, though. It's better than Boston. Boston's like freezing. I'm talking to my mom and she's like, it's like 21 degrees out here. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll stay here. It's fine. We have an office in Boston that I have not visited in some years. That's on me. I probably should go visit them. But I was there a lot for a while. But it was always cold, no matter what. And I like the cold, but it's like, it's cold. Oh, yeah. And the, and the roads there are like spaghetti. Like the driving there drove me up a freaking wall. It's like somebody took a pile of spaghetti, threw it on the freaking map, and is like, and here, we have roads. Um, <laughs> which I get, right? Because it was all old cart paths, right? Like Carriage. Carriage. carriage so I guess that makes sense. But then it's like Google doesn't even know what to do. No. Right? It's like you're driving down the road, and it's like Google's like, you're fucked. I really don't know how to help you here. You are on your own. Right. And I quite literally say, if you miss one exit, you minutes, end easy. up. On the other side of not even Boston, somewhere else. <laughs> and I'm just like, send help. I'm like, even me being in Boston, like my husband's like, why are you looking at the GPS? Like, don't you know these roads? Like you've literally lived in Boston since you were yeah. five years old. Like, why are you still reviewing the thing? So I'm like, there's road closures. There's a lot of things. I'm like, and I actually have to read where I'm going. Yeah. Because if you take one wrong exit and then Google gets lost in Boston. Google doesn't know what to do. It's literally like, I can't help you. Helpless. Yeah. We, uh, I took my team um, to uh, Foxborough for a Patriots ah. game. They're playing the Hawks. Go Hawks. And we won, for those who care. I do. That <laughs> yeah, was great. Anyway, we were coming back after having a rousing good time, and a lot of us were, you know. But um, so the limo driver, though, got lost. And he, he like, lives there. And I'm not joking. Yeah. I was the only one that was still up. Uh, and I asked him, I go, hey, where are we? And we were just outside of Rhode Island. And I'm like, how the hell did we go to, from Foxborough to Rhode Island? Uh, he got all confused and, and mixed himself. So, yeah. I I'm a driver. I'm certainly a driver. There's, there's passengers and there's drivers in life, right? Yes. I am most definitely a driver. Same. I don't enjoy driving in Boston. I'd rather hire Bernard, which I'd mm -hmm. rather do. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, totally. The, the, the thing with me, though, is I don't even want to drive in Boston. And I used to do deliveries when I was 16 years old. In Boston, driving, and I'm still lost sometimes, oh, I, I so don't it. feel bad. It's I get it. So this, so you grew up in Boston. I did. Okay. And you started in the restaurant business. I did. Uh, and does that mean you're Italian or Greek? What are my guesses? Albanian. Albanian. Very oh, close. Very close. All my neighbors. Who grew up in the, the restaurant business. I actually, to be fair, I grew up in the restaurant business too, but. 
it teaches you the foundation of so much that you don't realize until way later in life. Hospitality industry in general, and I agree with you, a lot of my best salespeople come from the service industry because you learn how mm -hmm. to read people, learn how to work with people, you get good right. at reading tables. So I agree with you. So if you grew up Albanian and an Albanian family and you grew up in the restaurant business, venturing out on your own was probably a big step, huh? It was. Well, so it was interesting. So my motivation lies behind my parents, right? So I was born in Tirana, Albania. So during the collapse of communism. Mm -hmm. So I think I That's came, fun. I think I came here to F shit up. Yeah. Really. I d because literally 91 was the collapse. That's when I was born. And my parents immediately like, fled. Drop in. I'm in. Right. Let's go. I'm ready. And so they moved to Rome, Italy when, when I was about six months old. And so I lived in Rome until I was about five years old. So like English is my third language. So since I was my no way yeah That's so cool yeah so my w when my mom was pregnant with me my dad had been trying to put his name in for the visa lottery because that's the only mm. way you can come to the United States, and so he kept trying and trying and trying years later still didn't work when I was about five years old my grandmother had put my dad's name in like a year prior and their names mm. got chosen so the day my little brother was born literally my grandmother walks into the hospital is like congratulations on your baby boy by the way you got chosen to go to the united states of america and my dad's like you know <laughs> he's like what we're going and my mom's there in the bed like she explained this to me <laughs> like sir i just birthed a baby here son in like, hand what do you mean you know like and everyone was so scared because the thing was they didn't know how to speak english they only had a tiny bit of money saved up my brother was a newborn i was five years old and we didn't have any family there. So there was nobody to like help you aside from family friends that you know of. Yeah. Right. So like, and my parents dropped everything and came here for the dream. And that was in 1996. Yes. So I, I love hearing the story, especially for second generation immigrants, right. That yeah. come to the country because they all kind of say the same thing. Like I won the lottery. Yes which frustrates the hell out of me for the amount of people who've lived here their entire life who think it's so bad living in the United States that have never been outside of the United States. They've never been through uh, a different system, a socialist system or a dictatorship right. or the collapse of an economy or a collapse of a country to even understand that. What was that like for your, for your family moving here? So my parents explained to me that when they grew up, like they were very spiritual. They knew there was a God. But the thing was, they didn't have organized religion because the government tore down every Communism. single... Yeah, yeah, they completely tore down everything. And it was, you worship the government, and that's really it. Oh, that's good. That's fun. Yeah, so like they, yeah. they've always told me, you know, like everything was pretty much set for you. Everyone kind of lived the same. There was all these things. Now, my father, because of my grandfather, was a little mm. bit more on the diplomatic side. So my grandfather was an ambassador for Austria and Germany during mm. the communist times. So my dad had it a little bit more interesting. So he got a little bit more of the lavish side of things. Interesting, right? And, uh, and it was interesting how that all played out. So hearing their experience is really fascinating to me, but they just knew my dad was like, I had this dream, the American dream that I knew that I could go there and build something for my family. I could not do that yeah. in Europe. So that, to your point, you know, you see people here who, who get super lazy and not grateful for what there is here. It's like my parents were able to come with nothing and build everything from the ground up. And I saw that as a kid, right? My brother was very young, but I saw that. I saw my dad working three jobs, manual labor because he couldn't speak English, and then eventually get himself into the restaurant business, working back of house, and then eventually working his way up, right? As he was learning English and learning his skill sets and he was doing deliveries. 
And then the owner of that business is actually from the same country as us. And literally, they became best friends. And this is the coolest part, I think, of the story. And what motivates me more than anything is that he was a cheerleader for my dad. Right. And these cheerleaders in your life genuinely make the biggest difference. Right. He said to him one day, he's like, Sokol, the way that you build wealth in America is one of two ways. A, you own real estate. B, you own your own business. He's like, I'm going to give you a down payment. Go out and buy your business and pay me back whenever you can. And then work on the real estate later. And like my dad told me, he's like, Pam, I was, uh, you know, he's like, I was stunned. I was shocked. Because he could have kept him as an employee, mm-hmm. right? But he chose to empower him, which I think hearing that story, I was like, oh my gosh, so many things I learned after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. But I knew that this guy gave my dad a chance, right? And so my dad bought that business and that's where I started, right? Because I wanted to hang out with my dad when I was <laughs> 10. So it was like that, this whole beautiful story of cheerleaders that really led us to that point, which was beautiful. Hold up, help up. Mm-hmm. That's the methodology there, right? You're blessed to be a blessing. That's incredible. I, I don't know if the stat still holds, but I can't imagine it's uh, too far different. The fastest growing group of millionaires in the United States is immigrants, first, second generation immigrants. Right. And it makes sense because they value the opportunity they have here differently because they have a right. different perspective. I wish there was a way that we could right. kind of export some of our people and go live abroad for a few years to get a broader kind of yeah. understanding of the world before they uh, start formalizing their opinions of how they think things should be. Right. I think it would give them an opportunity to see a bigger picture. So I think everyone, especially early in life, should travel. You know, go Absolutely. see different worlds, go see different countries, see how things are running there, give you a better perspective of, of what we have here. Not that it's perfect. Absolutely. But so you were in the restaurant business until when? Oh, man. I, so I was running the show by the time I was 18 for my parents. I was there so running their business all the time. Yep. And then by the time I was 21, I ended up having two of my own restaurants plus theirs on the back end. So that was an interesting, uh, that was an interesting ordeal. And, and it was funny because I was like, oh, I've been in restaurants my whole life. This is going to be a piece of cake. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to do it. Like, no big deal. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, the lessons when you're the actual owner at that point is so different because at that point I thought I could rule the world, right? right? I'm like, right. I've done this before. And then I get into it and I'm like, oh my God, this is a whole nother concept. It's a whole nother thing. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> 21, you had your own businesses. Were they the same style restaurants? No. So you went a completely different direction. Yeah. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, so what did you do? So there was two. So one of them was called Ria Cafe, which was like a dessert cafe. Cause mm-hmm. I wanted it to emulate really my culture and like, you know, in Albania, it's the, the basically it's the country that has the most cafes per capita in the world. Really? There's it's That's a insane. fun stat. Who gets to say that? <laughs> I mean, we have the most cafes of any country in the world. Showing off, you oh, know, yeah. just a little bit. But we love our coffee, coffee. right? So like espresso, mm. but like yes. what's really valued there is that time that you share with the person that you go with, right? right? Or the people that you go with, and it's like it showcases that slower lifestyle and you know the place where you create memories and enjoy, and that's how it is in Albania. Very laid back. I was like, I want to create that for families here because that's I, incredible. I, you know, in Boston, I didn't really see too many of them, you know, especially bringing in like gelato and like, you know, fresh baked pastries and mm-hmm. things like this European style type of stuff and coffee imported from Italy, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was that one. That was Ria. And then the other one, I was offered a business opportunity with a partner to basically run the biggest food operation in the entire country, which was July 4th. Yeah. So, so funny thing with that company was, I did an internship when I was in college 
for an events and marketing company. They did not know I was 16 years old, nor (laughs) did I tell them when did I want to tell them. (laughs) So I basically, I was putting on shows when I was 16 years old in like Nashville, Tennessee and everything remotely from Boston, like crazy stuff I was doing. And so the owner of the company was very impressed. So by the time I got to senior year in college, he asked me to become a business partner with him in this endeavor. There was a brick and mortar there at the Hatch Shell in Boston. So if mm-hmm. you've been to Boston, you know, mm-hmm. there's a little brick and mortar there. And then we had the state contract from the Museum of Science to the Mass Ave Bridge in Boston. So wow. literally it was like five miles. So any vendor that wants to come in there has, has to, to go, go through, through you. Wow. Yeah. So those were the two. So very parallel realms. And I was balancing both. And you're 21. Yep. Just getting done with college, not only learning how to run a business, you're also learning to work in a partnership. There's all sorts of potential uh, pitfalls here. What does mm. Rhea mean? Rhea, so, so Rhea's actually my dog's name now. Okay. But, <laughs> but it, it, in, so I wanted a name that was Albanian, right? Okay. But, but Albanian names are very complicated. So I took the last three letters of beautiful, like a gelato place, a cafe place, and the last three letters of my grandmother's name, and they were all Rhea, R-A-A. Huh. So, and I was like, I need to make it for branding purposes, make it really memorable, really easy to say, because if I do anything that's too crazy, no one's going to remember the brand. So, and that's how it was created. Cool. I like that. So what did you learn in the restaurant business? So you're you're running your parents' business. You opened up two businesses on your own. You're 21. That's pretty impressive on on many levels. And I can already see the lessons that one would learn because you just don't know what you don't know. So... You're not in the restaurant business now. You're in real estate. No. So I'd love to hear <laughs> what did you learn in real estate and then, you know, how that pivoted into real or what did you learn in the restaurant business and how did you pivot into real estate as a result? Yeah. So getting into the two businesses, right? I was like, this is what I know. This is what I love. Then getting into and actually operating them and being part of them and working 14, 16 hour days. I was like, like you do. I actually don't like this. It was horrible. <laughs> like, and I felt especially like such a failure no mm. joke, because I was sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, I've had so many people invest in these businesses and all this stuff. And like, I am not fulfilled. I, mm. this is not my passion. Like, I love people. I love the environment that I created within the two restaurants, but I don't enjoy cooking. Like, I don't enjoy <laughs> the actual, like, art of it, which I felt kind of like, oh my gosh. But I learned so many lessons, right? In like employee management branding, marketing, yep. like all the th- operations was a huge one, right? Balancing a million things at once, learning how to put out fires, you know, and I've learned that in the restaurant industry prior, but when it's really yours and your butt is on the line, yeah. whole nother story, yep. right? And especially when you're dealing with July 4th, which you're dealing with hundreds of vendors, biggest food operation in America, there's thousands of dollars being exchanged in cash everywhere. Like just so many lessons on so many fronts. I need to go to do, thanks, side note, I need to do July 4th in Boston. I imagine that's the place to be. It is the place to be. It it sure is. And it's a whole nother experience now. You know, post-COVID, it's, you know, a lot of things have changed, but it was interesting. So I had these, like, real estate developers that started coming to, especially the Hatch Shell, Mm -hmm. the one in downtown Boston. And um, I thought they were drug dealers (laughs) because I was like, hold on, like, how do you, like, get to dictate your time, leverage your time. You guys show up here whenever you want. I hear you talking about houses like on Cape Cod or that you're going to fly to Florida. Naturally drug dealers. Yeah, naturally. Right. So in my mind as an immigrant, all I know, like all I knew was hustle. Right. So like the physical emulation Mm -hmm. of that 
work, right? So like if I wasn't working, I felt like a bum. I was like, what am I doing? You know, because that's what I grew up with. It was the immigrant mentality. Immigrant mentality, yeah. And going into college, they don't teach you this either. You know, how to leverage your time and Weird. all that. Although I did have one professor who I've got a shout out big time in my entrepreneurial finance who always like hinted at me that like my time was worth money and was very valuable. And I still shout out to him, Professor Mullen. But that's awesome. But before that, you know, I just never heard the concept. And so they were talking about real estate investing and like all these different things. And I'm like, what the hell? Like when I hear when I heard real estate at that time, I thought it meant sell houses. And I was like, no way. Like, that's not. No, that's not my. No, 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 no. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in like, you know, when they were talking about the investing and long term wealth and like all these building different streams of revenue and like flipping houses and investing in long-term rentals, like all these cool different things. And I became so fascinated by that because I sat there and said to myself, the average millionaire has seven different streams of revenue and I have two. So I need to catch up. Right. And so in my mind, I was like, I've got to come up with a way to diversify my revenue streams. How do I do that? And so immediately I started looking at the whole concept of like flipping. My uncle also is a general contractor north of Boston. And there was still a lot of overflow from 2009, yep. that whole disaster, because this was around 2013. Oh, yeah. Yep. So dove into that world and I was like, you know what? I want to flip just a couple houses a year, you know, make some additional revenue sure. for myself. And that was it. That was the game plan. And, you know, I was like, and I'll just keep it on the side. Like, I didn't think I was going to transition into real estate and have it be like the thing. Right. And from there, I hired a coach who was local to my market, who had been there, done that. Because I was like, I'm not going to try to do this myself. Yep. You know, the number one lesson I learned in business, you don't know something, hire a consultant who's been there, done that. Yep. Period. Like, don't, I don't care what industry it is. You got to do it. Right. Otherwise, there are so many things that come with that. You can try to do it yourself and screw things up, lose hundreds, millions. I think that's something that's missed by so many. Yeah. Um, Get advice from people who are where you want to be. It's that simple. That I think a big reason why academia is, is failing so many people is so much what is taught is theory, not it's not coming from practitioners. It's coming from the theoretical. But that was really smart of you to do that. And I want to back up here real quick. So I've heard a lot of people, immigrant story uh, is very consistent with a lot of people. And I love that. The things you learn, yeah. um, the hustle culture, learning how to work hard, the value of an opportunity. And then you started looking up and kind of looking around because you had guys that were coming into your your storefront that lived a different life. Right. You're like, well, hey, wait, how are you doing that? And that's a very common thing. I have a good friend that was a golf pro for a long time because he wanted to be a pro golfer. And most golf pros spend most of their time on the golf course uh, teaching old ladies how to golf, right? And, right? and they don't golf that much. And he was explaining, he was looking around during the week and he was seeing all these guys get to golf and have fun. He's like, what the hell do you all do? You're not golf pros. Like how is it? Do you get to do this? And that was kind of his awakening too is like, and he was like, Oh, you're all business owners. Right. And so I I see that connection. It's like, all right, cool. And then, so you, you hire a coach, uh, you get into the game and at the time, and I think that's fair for a lot of people when they think real estate, they think one thing, right? right? Selling houses to other people. And that isn't what you were interested in doing. And so you got into house flipping Yep. ultimately led to uh, real estate development. You got into some, some big projects. So you started in 2013. Yeah. Okay, so more or less for the last decade you've been doing that. Right. And you sold the businesses. Yeah. So, so here's what happened. First deal I did, it was like right down the street from my college. Mm-hmm. Bought it. It was awesome. 
you know, there was a family there that owned it. So the kids had moved. They were from Vermont. So they were all out of state. And then the parents had lived there, but then they got sent to nursing homes. So the house really became dilapidated. Mm -hmm. You couldn't even, driving by, you couldn't even find it, to be honest. Like, I drove by six times. I was like, where's this house? <laughs> because all the trees and everything. And so we bought it super cheap. And so my coach came in on the deal with me in the beginning because I needed my coach to walk through the first few deals with me in order for me to really get a grasp on the construction because that's one of the things that people don't talk about is the construction element right. of these projects. And I had no real estate experience, no construction experience, two things going against me. And we were about to go into a full gut renovation of a property, right? So I remember the kids were saying to me, like, Pam, please bring this house back the way we remember it as children because it's sad to see it in its current state. You know, we want to awaken, you know, have it awaken. Yep. And I remember seeing it before and then seeing it after the work was done. And I remember the first open house was like an out-of-body experience because the family who ended up buying that property, like, literally walked in and you could see them interacting with the space. And I was just like, it was like I was watching timelines of, like, me when I first walked in there the first time and then, like, seeing it that way. Like, it was the coolest thing in the world to be able to create a place that people are going to create these memories, especially mm -hmm. families. And I still drive by to this day. That same family is still there. That is so awesome. Which is so cool. But not only so that, the create the creative piece of it was amazing, right? But then I looked at the numbers, and I made almost 100K on that deal. On your first deal? Yes. Uh, okay. So you're all in at that point. Correct. Yeah. And, I, and I made that, and I was like, there is, I was like, how many sandwiches do I have to sell <laughs> to right. net 100K profit? Like, yep. there's just no way, right? And this was after everything. And I was just mind blown by that. I was like, it's so cool. You get all these people working on your project. You create this place and this space and you make a ton of money doing it. Like, and that's when I went all in and I kind of like started scaling out of my restaurants and then diving deeper into development, got my general contractor's license, got my real estate license and really built like the, the trifecta of the three. Mm. Yeah. So what would you say for somebody who wants to go that direction? Before you get, I want to say something else. You mentioned seven streams of income. Mm -hmm. It is worth noting for our, our listeners. It is true that millionaires generally have seven streams of income. It is also true that for the most part, they got to becoming a millionaire through a single stream of income. Yeah. And that's important to understand because I, a lot of, I see this, especially when people are, are younger, they're trying too many things at one time and they never really get, get at any one of them because they're yeah. too spread out, Yeah. right? You like, there's certain skill sets undoubtedly that you learned in the restaurant business that's served you in everything else you've done. And you got really good at those things. You may have discovered in that process, hey, you know, the restaurant business isn't really for me, but right. I guarantee you there are skill sets that qualified you and gave you opportunities for the next things, right? Right. So important to note, because I see that a lot of the, the younger guys I coach, uh, very often they're, they're trying to do too many things and it's only when we get them focused that they start to really gain momentum. A hundred percent. And you can leverage that too. hundred percent. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so going back to real estate, what do you see are the, the most common mistakes that people are making right now in real estate? What you just said, trying to do too many things at once and not being hyper-focused, right? The thing that's happening in real estate, again, it's, it's a big money industry, and that's true. And it's also the industry that's like drinking from 
a goddamn fire hose. <laughs> it's like you could do so many things. You could make so much money in different realms. And what people don't calculate is they look at like a wholesaler or they'll look at a real estate investor that flips or they'll look at a commercial developer and not and try to emulate them. The problem is those people have a different life than you have, a different background than you have. What are you leveraging to make real estate work for you, not yep. you working for real estate? Yep. Right. And really focus on one path. Get that really, really well and continue moving forward. What happens is like we get lost in the make six figures in six months or like, you know, 100,000 on your first deal. It's like, right. I know. I know. I, I know that, that one's a tough one because it's so it's, it's actual reality. But but you can get sucked up in the numbers a lot when it comes to real estate. And the thing is, people always want to say, hey, I want to get into real estate. Cause I want to make money. And then you get deeper into what's the actual reason right. why that person right. wants that. Right. And so I, and it happens with my coaching clients all the time. And if I'm hearing you, what you're saying is a lot of times people are really just chasing money, not necessarily the passion of the craft. And so that gets exposed in the pursuit and then they fail very often because they don't have the grit or the resiliency to go through the shit to get there because that was never their intention. They just wanted the, the money at the end. Correct. So you started in flipping why? So for me, it was about diversifying revenue streams and really just like making more money. And that's what I wanted. But you said you could, to the, the point of being focused in real estate. Yeah. What about flipping houses made you go, yeah, I can get behind this. Like that makes sense to me. Because you're right. You were saying there's so many different ways one can go. Right. Was it chance? Was it just luck? Is that what first presented itself? Or were you really intentional about, no, I want to get into flipping? And if so, what was the attraction to that? So my uncle was doing a lot of flips north of Boston and he was saying, you know, my father was actually investing in those properties and he really wasn't doing much except for be there at closings. And my uncle was basically running the job. Right. So I saw my dad going to closings and he's making 30 K whatever. And he was yep. like barely there because I had to do something that didn't require too, too much of my time because I had the two restaurants. Again, when I jumped into real estate, I didn't think it was going to be something that's long-term for me that I go all in on, right? Like I thought, okay, this is just a different Side project. You know, I'm yeah. just going to invest in this and then kind of go from there. And I stood behind it because I came with a really calculated strategy. Like my coach said, Pam, you can't try to do a million things at once here. If you want to flip houses, you pick your locations. How, how many units do you want to do? You want to do one to four units? Like you got to get real specific and your locations and then desired, you know, it's almost like your own criteria of like your investment deal. And at that time there was a lot of inventory. So yep. it was, you know, flipping was a, was almost not, I don't want to say easy to do, but there was a lot of choices and the market was pretty good. So it was yeah, like the last the 10 years have been a run. Yeah. It, it was like a perfect environment to do that. Now, would I say that about flipping right now in this current market, in this current state? Absolutely not. Now this is the play to hold long term. Yep. This is where you have leverage and pur purchasing and like all of that. Anyone who wants to flip right now, I'm like, oh no, no, no. Like unless you're getting it like dirt, 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 dirt cheap or doing like a condo conversion of some sort, don't do it, right? So every market has its season, I guess. So you started in flipping, yep. had a knack for it, and then you moved into what? So you got into a couple of different things to get your GC, yep. also get your real estate license. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened with the real estate license, my coach was like, Pam, you're leaving money on the table. Yep. Literally like you, people are asking you all the time, Pam, can you help me buy? Pam, can you help me sell? Cause I was surrounded by entrepreneurs. So for me, like the commercial real estate side was very big because I understood that there was no emotions. It was just business. Right. So I loved 
that part of the game. So I had an opportunity to put a lot of really incredible deals together on the real estate development front with that, like back end deals and things that I put together kind of behind the scenes, like massive deals that normal commercial real estate firms were like, who the hell is this girl organizing this stuff? And like, you know, organizing equity within it myself, plus, you know, brokering the deal as well. And so it was super interesting because I was like, I didn't think I'd be handling these types of deals at scale. And I still had my development company. So I was still flipping. I was still doing, so I had just multiple streams coming in. And uh, by the time I was 27, I, um, I was featured as a real estate trail, the trailblazer in the real estate industry by Forbes and time magazine, which was crazy. But it was after that though, I hit like my first net seven figure year. I was like, life is so good. This is what I've worked on my whole life. And then it was like, okay, Pam, you're doing great things for yourself. What are you doing for the world? And I was like, oh, mm. man, here we go. Here we go, spirit. You know? <laughs> so this is this is this is beautiful to, to kind of outline. So there's a few things just kind of keep track. Yeah. Started from zero, started from nothing, right? Mm-hmm. That really fucks with the storyline. Yep. Right? You didn't inherit wealth. Right. Um you got your family got lucky by being able to come to the United States. Right. Learned a trade in the restaurant business, helped you with with learning particular skill sets that you then translated into real estate. You became a seven income or seven digit income earner in your twenties. And from there, your world begins to open up. And, and, and I talk about this as the depth of why usually when we're, when our first kind of passion or purpose is to take care of our needs. Right. Once our needs are met, then we generally move to status depending on how you know young of a soul we are. This carries more to us than others, but status is, trips, nice houses, nicer cars, luxury items, things like that. But eventually when we get to a certain level of income, not everyone, unfortunately, but from a lot of people, they stop and go, wait, there's got to be more, right? Like I'm I'm not here just to make money. But by the way, making money is an honorable skill set. There is, and it's a useful one in the name of, of doing well, doing good, right? This, I I only bring this up because I'm, it's kind of sickening to me how we're demonizing making money right now is that's popular to do. And it's like, no, dude, who's going to have more influence on the world and can bring better good? The billionaire or the snivelet who's sitting at home depressed 25 years old blaming the fucking billionaires for their problems in the world? It's the billionaire, right? It's like if you're frustrated, go go build a successful business and use it for good, right? So I think making money is a very useful skill set, but it very much can open people up to there's got to be more. So it sounds like you get to the second half of your 20s, you're making good money, yeah. and now spirit drops in. So, so talk to us about that. So I just hear, Pam, you're doing great things for yourself. What are you doing for the world? And I'm like, oh, damn. Now, mm-hmm. I've always been a very spiritual person, right? So very much guided through every single piece of business, everything, everything, yes. everything from day one. And at that moment, it was so incredible to hit those numbers and to pay off debts for my parents, yes. pay off all these things, you know. And I, and when I did that, you know, my father reached back out to me and he was like, Pam, you know, and he's like, I've never told you this growing up. But he's like, I used to sit in the bathroom and cry because I did not know how I was going to pay the rent. And then, like, for me to look at these checks and these things coming in, it was like, oh, my God. And, and I knew at that moment, like, I've I got to do something to elevate the world like I was given all these gifts now now what am I going to do to help empower others with this knowledge right yes because of the knowledge and the power and the money I was able to get to a certain place and what was happening is people were asking me all sorts of questions like Pam how did you get it how did you know congratulations on making it like you made it to the top and and I was like guys this was like 
20 years in the making and a whole bunch of F-ups. Oh, no. Nobody wants to hear that. You mean it wasn't quick? It wasn't easy? I didn't make six figures in six months. You know, like all this craziness. And I'm just questioning myself. I'm, you know, I got to this like almost identity crisis. Like, oh, my God, I got here. Okay, now what? Like what what is happening in the world, right? And that's when I launched the podcast because I realized there was so much disconnect, especially in my millennial generation of successful people, right? Like they think like people were so disconnected from them. It was like, no, 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 no. Everyone has a story. Yes. And so I was like, I want to showcase who you are, where you've been and where you're going. And the stories I was hearing, I was just sitting there like jaw dropped. Like, holy crap, how can this person... Like, I remember interviewing Kevin Harrington, and he's like, yeah, I started in the restaurant business, too. And I'm like, you're worth over half a billion dollars, sir. Like, how the hell? And then hearing his story authentic, like, I just, my mind was blown. Well, And, and I, those stories are important to get out there because, again, it's getting more pervasive, although I think there's still a lot of very intelligent people who, who are smart enough to realize it's bullshit. But it's getting more pervasive, this idea that wealth is something that is inherited, that you can't come up in the United States that if you started poor, you're going to end poor and it's not your fault. Right. right? Like these, I'm like in the United States of all places, how did we get here? And so when you interview people and you hear their story and it gets, it gets harder and harder to argue for, uh, privilege. I mean, we all have privilege. Privilege is a very real thing. If you live in the United States, you're privileged, right? It's like, that's that alone puts you in a different camp. If you live in the United States, you're in the top 2% of the world as income earners statistically. right? Right. But, Hearing people's stories of where they came from to where they, they went, the whole goal, sh- hopefully, is what's my excuse? And, why, and you're right. When it, I, with rare exception, there are a few, but with rare exception, I don't run into people who are wildly successful that came from an extreme amount of wealth. Right. In fact, it's harder, it seems, to keep, pe- to keep wealth for most. So I love that, and I love hearing those stories. So what are you doing now? So you've, you've had some success you're kind of recalibrating. You start telling these stories. You start the under, underdog podcast. Where is your focus now? What are you excited about now? Yeah. So the podcast actually led into my passion for like for coaching and also for public speaking and all of these things that just kind of naturally came as I was doing that. It was so weird. And like media stuff, all of that. And I was like, well, if I'm supposed to help people, this is the greatest way mm. to do it. So I still was building my investment portfolio. Right. So I have a nine figure investment portfolio, which is incredible. Right. Which I encourage everyone to do. Just build slowly and keep going. But in the meantime, I've been working on all my coaching. So in the past, like two, three years, that's really what I've been focusing embedded on is really how do I help others elevate and really mastering my craft? Because I know what makes Pam successful. Yeah. Right. But how do I then motivate others? Right. It's like a whole nother craft. And, and that's why I was terrified. And honestly, it's a terrifying thing when you go into a brand new field Mm. because also I've never been part of any corporate structure or any structure (laughs) period. Right. So here I am trying to like figure all of this stuff out. So I went into NLP training Mm. and like all these different things, learning about alignment of mind, body, and spirit, because all these entrepreneurs I was meeting on my podcast, they were all in alignment with mind, body, and spirit. And I'm like, Holy crap, there's a common theme here. Yes. Mind, body, and spirit. And so I found that some of the greatest entrepreneurs on the planet were deeply spiritual. More often than not, but not yes, always. Not always, but most of them. Like I want to say 93% that I came across. You know, the other seven, interesting. It, it, and, and to your point, I think I think there's a 
as you develop as a human being and you become more successful, you start to acquire kind of principles and understandings of your world. And when you start hanging out with like-minded people, you begin to realize, oh, they think the same way too. They operate from the same principles. And so if you study success literature over the last hundred years, it's, it's all pretty much saying the same thing. Right. And it isn't because some grand group of people sat down around a table and said, all right, all right, let's canonize the principles of success and agree on what those are. They all kind of came to them through their own experience and learnings, which should be a big aha to people. Like, oh, well, there are consistent things that show up in achievement, right? There is a, right. a science to achievement. And, and if you want to begin to understand that and employ that, it will work for you too. And that's like the other thing that's really concerning me right now is, again, this underlying message that's being spouted is that success is largely a product of luck. Right. And it's like, yeah, luck is involved in everything, right? Yeah. There is an element of luck uh, to everything. It's lucky that you grew up in the United States, right? Or it's lucky that you live in the United States. But to ignore the principles and suggest it's mostly luck is a really pathetic, weak mindset and disempowering. And it's just simply not true. I think, I think successful people will all recognize there is an element of luck that comes with being a success. But there's also a lot of, uh, of hard work and a lot of employing particular principles that yield that result. And you see it over and over again. And you're right. Many of them begin to integrate mind, body, and spirit. Uh, which is exciting. So it's like if you're trying to grow and develop as a human, find people who are where you want to be and you start noticing these commonalities. Uh, that's interesting. So oh, yeah. so what in your coaching practice, what are you focusing on with your students? What do you find yourself? Where are you starting? Is it just a real estate practice? Are you focusing on getting good at real estate? I have a feeling it's more than that. So where do you go with it? So it's interesting, right? So in spending the time with the craft, of what what am I even meant to do? How am I supposed to elevate, right? Like Spirit put a lot of interesting people in my life and one of them being Soul Architect Yesenia. So helping me figure out like what are my gifts and how can I help empower people in, in that way, right? And so that's kind of how I got to the coaching side and then the podcast really became a huge fuel for that. And in my discovery of all this, you know, learning about mind, body and spirit and all the things and what are the things that made me successful and other people successful, I was like, you know what? A lot of people are drawn to real estate because I get that was the number one question I get. Pam, how do I get into real estate? And I really help people break that down. And then give them a strategy that's actually going to work for them, not just something that's a one size fits all because that just doesn't exist in society. So Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> so my coaching program, so it's I do it on two levels. One is on a one on one basis and it literally I have it built for each type of person and pretty much it's always entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And there's a group coaching platform, when, which I have, that basically it's all about real estate investing. But the first thing I always start with is let's get very clear on what it is that you want. Yep. It's like being on a train and you don't know where you're going. Oh, I don't know what stop I'm at. And I actually don't know where what stop I'm supposed to get off at. It's like clarity you know, is power. Clarity. And then you get to the vision. And from the vision, you can then see your goals and what you want, short-term, long-term, mid-term, whatever it is. And then from there, we can create a strategy that works for you, right? So like every one of my clients is super different, right? Some of them are entrepreneurs or some of them even work nine to five. And they're like, oh my God, Pam, I work a nine to five. You know, they're doctors or whatever. And I'm like, well, how can we leverage that, right? How can we leverage that at this point in time? Like you don't have to be an all-in real estate investor. That's all you do all day long, live and breathe it. Cause you have a whole nother life you've built before this. Yep. 
So how do you leverage that? Like I had a client who's a doctor, have a client who's a doctor. And she's like, well, Pam, I have all this experience and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, so what's your desired income level? And we literally broke it all down. And I'm like, you don't want to go to a nine to five setting, but you can still become a consultant in that realm and build this revenue. And guess what? That is now portfolio that you want to buy. And you can either take that and put it into a fund or you can take that and go out and buy multifamily properties, whatever you want to do. And we just get real specific. And she was like sitting there mind blown. She's like, I didn't even know this was a possibility. I thought I was going to have to like quit and go full time. And I'm like, there's so many misconceptions when it comes to real estate, but it's like, you really got to leverage it for you. Right. Yeah. So that's been one of my strongest skill sets is getting them clarity to vision to strategy. And then execution comes without those never going to happen. I love it. If you were, if you were starting over today in real estate, where would you be focused? budgeting and financial forecasting which was always like my worst thing i i wouldn't change a thing about the journey for sure the one thing that i would change is just how i watched my budget and stuff so there were some deals that i like overspent overbuilt didn't calculate properly and i got into some cash flow things you know lessons yep. that you learn along yep. the journey so it was things like that that i would change it's being tighter sure. with money yeah okay so let me flip the question if somebody was getting into real estate in the current market right we've seen from 2013 to 2023, arguably was the best time in real estate in U.S. history, right? It was an right. incredible time. Rates were, in some cases, artificially low. We've seen huge appreciation value. 2023, if you were getting into real estate today, what would you do differently or where would you be focused? You, you mentioned already flipping houses probably wouldn't be at the top of your list. So what? where would you start? Absolutely. So right now, looking at the current pieces of the market again you've got to evaluate where are you at right now and where do you want to be and create that bridge in the middle and realize that there's a whole bunch of risk mitigation that you can do in the meantime now, if you wanted to get into development at this point in time it is a riskier game right interest rates are way higher so your risk level increases banks are really not looking at you as a first-time person right. right so there's all of these things that you have going up against you but what is a great time right now is to build a long-term portfolio so when you say for maybe somebody who's not in real estate doesn't understand that, what do you yeah. mean by a long-term portfolio? So like buying a property that you're going to rent and, and hold it for a long period of time. So it depends on your strategy though. So like some people are like, I want to get into real estate, Pam. And I'm like, what does that mean for you? Right. So I guess the first couple of questions that I would ask this person who's interested is, do you want active income or passive income? Right. How do you want to work that? Yep. Right. Because active, you can get your real estate license, sell some properties on the side and build that for sure. Or you could go on the passive route and invest in a fund who's been doing this for years and years and years and operates these properties and you don't have to worry about it. It's almost like you close your eyes and just get your investment every single month, you know, kind of deposit it into your account. Or you can go out there and buy something. So it's, it's just getting really clear on what it is that you want. Do you want active? Do you want passive? In which way do you want to go, right? Everyone wanted to get into real estate for the last decade because everyone was like, oh my God, real estate agents are making so much money or developers are making so much money. You know, it, it really does depend on economic factors at this point in time. Like if it was me right now wanting to get into real estate, now if you want to go on the investing side, get into some property management. Investors are about to be busy. They yep. have been waiting, dying for a recession like this to come along because guess what they're going to do? They're going to scoop things up on sale. They're going to scoop things up and they're going to hold it in the long term. And they're going to need people to rent those units and manage those units. 
And also as an agent, you can then make the sale too, right? At this point in time. But a lot of people are like, oh my God, interest rates are so high. It's so horrible. Oh, real estate, real estate. Everyone's kind of like, and I'm like, this is great. This opens more opportunity. Like the beginners are leaving now. Yep. The weak-minded are leaving right now. Strength is coming in and everyone who's experienced is like buckling up. All right, got my tool belt ready. We're ready to go. Yeah, I know? saw that. After 2008, when I started getting into real estate personally, what I would always ask is, how long have you been doing this? Mm -hmm. And the people, when I started looking at purchasing uh, real estate was 2013, 2014. The people that I was really interested in working with were the ones that survived 2008. Yep. And if they were still in real estate after that, it meant they probably knew what they were doing. right? Because, And it's the same thing right now, and I agree with you. It's this is this market is going to weed out all of the weak, right? They'd like that, you know, really lived off the low hanging fruit and it's a rising tide lifts all ships. This has been a really great run um, in US history to be on real estate. And I think you would agree, it isn't gonna change. Real estate has been a incredible investment for as long as we've been tracking these numbers, right? Especially in the United right. States. But it does get different economic climates do change what's popular, what's going to be uh, a good place to invest. And, and what I'm hearing you say is either partner with somebody who's been in this for a long time and get into a real estate fund that's going to be good over the long haul right. or look at properties or projects that are going to be good over the long haul, um, which is what you're saying is it, it may be rough here for, for a little bit. So if you're trying to flip properties, unless you're, you know, finding distressed or bank owned or, or you know, stuff that's being um, um, auctioned off, probably going to be hard to find stuff with a lot of uh, a lot of equity in it right now. But if you're playing the long game, then you're going to be in good shape. right? Oh, yeah. and, and passive income is different than active income. And I talk a lot about this with my students. Like Passive income is money that's coming in whether you're working or not. right? Mm -hmm. Active income is exactly what it sounds like. You're hustling for it. You're working for it. Right. And I think the goal in the early game is use active income to build passive income. Right? And when we're young, we have time and energy, typically. So that's a good time to convert time and energy, which creates active income, into passive income. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, it's an opportunity now to look at what you've got and see what you can leverage to take on something to take you even further, right? Like, if you don't own property right now, you, sh you should be going out there and negotiating. Like A lot of, yeah, you're saying there's people who are afraid of what's going on in the market, they're afraid of they're trying to sell their home and they're not getting uh, they're not getting nearly as many looks. They're not getting as many interested parties. Go not knock on doors, start talking with people and you might find properties for a lot cheaper than you'd think. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just helped one of my friends buy a mixed use property. She's like, Pam, I want an investment property. I want an Airbnb. I was like, all right, I got you. So we find this place literally on the beach. First floor is commercial. So I'm like, great. This can rent for about twenty five hundred a month easily. This top two floors, the seller rented as a, it was called the Mermaid of Hull. The seller at that time was renting per night. I just want you to take a guess at this. How much do you think she was charging per night? And it looked like it was like it was tacky. On as the hell. beach? Yes. Where? In Massachusetts. Mass on the beach, work live space. Probably right on the beach. I would say seven hundred and fifty to nine hundred, but maybe seven hundred fifty to one hundred thousand dollars a night on the beach. She was charging eighteen hundred per night. And it was a bachelor pad, bachelorette pad. Yeah, and, and those top two floors combined is about 1,400 square feet. And wow. you've still got the commercial on the first floor. It's, yeah. How do you lose on that? Uh, you don't. 
And right. so, so right. I was like, this is an awesome, I looked at it and it was like the first floor was all busted out. Cause like the seller hadn't finished mm-hmm. the repairs. And I was like, this is literally so easy. You just sheetrock this, which will cost you 10 K no biggie. And then the top two floors, I'm like 1800 as is this crap. That's and crazy. I, and I walked through with her and I was like, I was like, she's like, oh, it's going to be a full gut renovation. I was like, no, it's not. Cause you're going to spray paint this. You're going to change these lights. You're going to change the floors. You're going to spray these tiles and it's going to look like a brand new thing. So she's like, okay, fine. She's like, that's what I'm going to do. And she's like, and just finish out the first floor. I said like a vanilla shell, right? So whoever comes in there can build out whatever they yep. want to, but at least it looks done. She just finished it within 30 days. Guess what she's renting it for the top floor now. So, uh, 2,500. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and is she covering her nut on the, she's got to be easily covering her nut on the top that she can take the time to put a good business in the bottom, mm-hmm. like a coffee shop or donut or something that would be make even the top more valuable. If you walk downstairs and you got a cafe or something. Correct. Incredible. Correct. And this is today, meaning this is opportunities you're finding right now in the current economic condition. So the way that I negotiated that deal for her was, it was less than a million. And I said to the seller, I said, we want everything in the property, the brand, everything. And we want your Airbnb domain, like your account. Beautiful. We're keeping that super host status. So that's worth money. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. So why were they wanting to get out? They were just afraid of what was happening and they didn't want to keep managing it or? Health reasons, mm. health reasons. And so we were like, you know what? And she was looking to retire yep. the seller, but she was just very difficult with everyone. So this is where that communication comes in, right? Building rapport and figuring out what does the other side want and how can we help them get there and creating a win-win scenario. And that's exactly what we did. Got that property for less than a million. That's going to cash flow her. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. And she made it like, like you'd think it was good when it looked, was 1800 a night. Right now she blew it out of the water. She created like, sinks that look like octopuses like hanging from like the like it like just very totally going themed. with the vibe for being on the beach it, like an epoxy like countertop that looks like waves coming down the hardwood floors were uh, were redone to look like sand they literally looks like sand she has like hanging chairs like it was ridiculous and in the in the short-term rental space your you know people that are coming in your customers are coming in they're, they're really they're looking for an experience more often than not right, right. They're going to judge you mostly based on the kitchen, the bathroom, and the master bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so if you hammer those spaces well uh, and you create a really good experience, then you're going to do quite well. That yeah. is really cool. Those are, those are fun stories. Um, so what would you say? Somebody coming in now, get a coach, mm-hmm. right? Number one, um, get clear about what you want to do and start focusing on whether you're in the active income or the passive income phase of your life. Is that fair? Top three things? All right. And then figure out where you're going to leverage where you can leverage now when you leverage is really powerful. And I was talking about this with the crew uh, earlier, right? Building wealth very often comes down to how good you are at leverage. So can you explain what you mean by that? When you say, what are you going to leverage? Absolutely. You know, look at all the different spaces that you've spent so much time in your life, right? So you don't have to be an entrepreneur to build wealth today for you and your family or build wealth in real estate, right? All it requires is that you learn how to leverage that, right? What do I mean by that? If you have a nine to five, that's usually lenders love that. Lenders love W-2s, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's frustrating for entrepreneurs. Right, right. So they don't really like us too much. But when it comes to the W-2 world, like they love that, right? So utilize that. And either if you don't own a property right now, house hack. 
literally that's what my husband and I did. We were like, we're going to buy this two family because A, I'm never home. B, I know this is going to appreciate like crazy. And three, we're going to keep this when we move out and just rent it out. And that's exactly what we did. And the property doubled. The cash flow pretty much covers a lot of our new mortgage. And like, it's incredible. So there's all these different things that you can do to either purchase it for yourself as a house hack, I like to call it, or you can purchase an investment property. Or if you're an entrepreneur, you can buy a mixed use building, which is commercial on the first floor and residences above. I like the mixed more, use. Yeah, because the more income that you have coming in, the less riskier the investment. Yep. You're I tell people this all the time. I'm like two or three unit buildings are awesome. You can go as low as 3.5% down. And when the market was good, you actually even had 0% down, which I wish those still existed. There's even some towns, though, that give you grants for a down payment, like the city of Boston. That will like, and then so you put nothing down, and people don't realize like you guys, you have all these tools that you mm. can utilize. You don't have to be this big developer or this big investor to just take one step forward and keep building that up. That's incredible. So where are you going now? So I know it sounds like real estate sounds like it's on the back burner for you. It's like yeah, I love it. I'm still passionate about it, but my main focus is coaching, developing people. Where where is your focus going forward? Where are you finding home? I know you started Ether. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Oh yeah. Uh, event space that's exciting but what are you focused on now so ether alchemy is something that i have it's it's an organization that i created with soul architect justenia and that was the culmination of business and spiritual realms combined which we're going to have on next that's going to be exciting and because business really is a spiritual game at the end of it right so that self-awareness that self-development was a key part of my success and also for many others if you look at tony robbins you know there's a million different things but our dream is basically to create spiritual centers and a whole bunch of things down the line. But what we're creating now is really these experiences, these retreat experiences like in Egypt, Mexico, and all of that work culminates adventure. But also you have business workshops as well as spiritual workshops to really help you break through and get really clear about who it is that you are. Yeah. What are you meant to do in this life? And how can you then execute that? How can you execute that strategy? All while having some fun. So that's that's a little bit about Ether. And I love awesome. that so much. Um, so that's a big focus on what we're focused on. We're going to get into corporate trainings and do a bunch of fun stuff with that pretty soon, which is really exciting. Um, but I'm really focused on the coaching side of things. I really want to help elevate people. And the two avenues in which I'm really doing that is obviously one-on-one and group coaching. But then diving into media. We've got some media things coming up and lots of know in social media as well so that's been really really key and uh, moving to the future is just going to be a whole lot of fun between ether and then the real estate stuff but also on the back end i'm still building my investment portfolio so that's not done the 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 space that i really stepped away from was kind of like the fix and flip like one to two you know these one two three four unit projects smaller stuff now i want to get into much bigger stuff like buying 125 acres hopefully in in vermont and really creating something awesome out of that and creating more experiential things kind of on the bigger scale of development um and kind cool. of showcasing that so yeah it's a whole lot of fun in my world <laughs> that sounds like it that's exciting where can people find you absolutely so i'm on instagram linkedin facebook pamela Barty. find me anywhere also my website uh, pamelabardi.com and if they want to get coaching with you on hit, the website hit me up on all of social media accounts and just say, Hey, bam, like a, I'm right here. Who, I'm interested in real estate or whatever. Who would be the, the ideal person to come to you right now? Oh man. Entrepreneurs, 
Definitely, for sure. Um, they're, they're the ones that I lead best, especially women entrepreneurs are incredible, too. So I feel like I'm leading a lot of them um, into the space. Women entrepreneurs really that are looking for? Learning how to get into real estate. Learning to get into real estate. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Pamela, it was great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you for your time today, and I look forward to having you back on in the future. Thank you so much for having me, Sebastian. It was such an honor.